When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hello, Sam Pinkham here, sitting in for Chris Evans and welcoming you to the latest installment of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, the always delightful Hugh Bonneville charms us with tales of playing legendary children's author Roald Dahl in the moving new Sky original film, To Olivia. The incredible Angelica Bell shares how you can get involved in The Edit, the new digital programme for schools and home learning from Sky and Adobe. Scottish superstars Deacon Blue have us all dancing with joy with their brand new mini album, Riding on the Tide of Love. And the poptastic Bastille frontman Dan Smith talks about the band's brilliant new documentary, Reorchestrated. All of that and loads more still to come. Now, Dapper Dave, tell us who's our first guest. From Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to the BFG, the story of the man behind the stories is just as worth telling. The superb new Sky original To Olivia is available on Sky Cinema from Friday. And here to tell us more is someone that's proved he knows his way around a story or two. It's the majestic Hugh Bonneville. <laughs> What an intro, boys. What an intro. Thank you. <laughs> well, you're very welcome. Obviously written mainly by me and just performed by Dave. He's brilliant. Hugh, you were on a year or so ago. Do you remember your last intro? And did you prefer this one? Which, which is your fave? This one. This one. Delighted. This one. Oh, good, good. This good, one. Good, well good, done, good, yeah, David. Well done. Um, Hugh, I watched To Olivia last night, and obviously heart-wrenching and sad, but comforting, as Vassos described it early this morning. But i tell you one thing that, from the very, very beginning, I thought, and you agreed, Vass, is that I was thinking, that's not Hugh Bonneville. That can't. Is that Hugh? That is. No, it's not. Yeah, it you had be. to start speaking, Hugh, for us to know that it was you. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, we did, we'd opted to, to, to go for a sort of like physical look that uh, approximated, uh, you know, the spirit of Roald Dahl, if not the actual. And uh, so I, I hope it didn't distract for too long and that you were able to just get stuck into the oh, story. Oh, no, it was wonderful. The pres- I, I, I think, am I right in saying, I hope you don't mind me saying this, a, process- a prosthetic nose involved? Oh, it was nose, cheeks, teeth, <laughs> hair, was, everything. Did you prefer that look? Outfit. Did you prefer the look? Would you stick without it? You're happy to it's go not- back... It's not. It's not a pulling look. Let's face it. You know, but um, uh, no. It sort of. It just. It just helped with our, our, our approach to the whole. The whole project. You know, because I mean, Keely looks so like uh, Patricia Neal, whom she was playing. Um, so I thought, oh, better catch up. Better try and do something to look a bit more, <laughs> a bit more like rules. Um, but I mean, there are different ways of approaching any part. I mean, you know, uh, Dirk Bogard played played Royal Dahl in a, in a in a TV film many years ago, and he just put on a cardigan. That was it. So. Uh, yeah, they're, they're horses for courses. For those who don't know, the film is out on Friday. It's called To Olivia. Can you tell us the story of To Olivia? It's really uh, a, a sort of journey through a family facing the, the worst imaginable 
fate, which is the loss of a child and uh, how they navigate that. And it's really an analysis of grief, I suppose, uh, in simple terms and and the way that different people react at different stages of that journey. Um, And in their case, you know, Patricia was a a well-known America, celebrated American actor. Rule was not a uh, well-known author at that stage to the early 60s. He hadn't uh, he'd written James and the Giant Peach, but it hadn't found a publisher in the UK. And um, uh, and he was writing Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and that, of course, changed everything. And during this period, um, they lost their daughter to measles. And um, and it's really, you know, how they navigate that. Uh, and, and to be honest, Rural didn't navigate it well at all. He, he sort of shut down completely. And, and uh, Patricia, his wife, then wife, had to, had, to, had to sort of carry the family, really, for a long time. But out of it came a sort of strength and a, and a unity and a creative energy. Um, and in our story, the way we've shaped the story, it ends with just a sort of triumph for both of them. Hugh, did you like Roald Dahl after being him? Um, I think I understood him a little better. I wouldn't. I've, I mean, I know he was, you know, very, you know, a very, very passionate father, uh, but he was a very complicated man indeed. And uh, and some would say, you know, uh, they, he wasn't the best companion. Um, when they met him. Um, I have met a few people who sort of said they'd met him at book signings when they were kids and they'd taken their books up to him and I said, oh, that must have been amazing. He said, well, no, he was quite grumpy. <laughs> right. um, but I've also, you know, it's in the biographies and essays and so on that he was a, a difficult, could be a very difficult and spiky man and liked nothing more than to see people squirm at a, at a you know, dinner party or something over something he'd said just to sort of, you know, get, get a reaction out of people. Um, so I think he was, a, he, was a, he was a loose cannon at times. And uh, obviously in, in later life, he, he wrote some pretty uh, unpalatable things. And, um, you know, that's a hard thing to, to keep in balance with the great writer that he was. Did anything surprise you about, about roles when you were working up to the character? I think really that I, I knew so little about him. You know, obviously I've been familiar. I wasn't a great aficionado of his books by any means, but I'd, I'd read some, particularly his, you know, his short stories when I was a teenager. Those are the ones that have really captured me yeah. um, and the tales of the unexpected. So I knew he had this dark, twisted imagination, which was, you know, what, what of course, the kids, you know, young readers love. But I think, I think I hadn't known what a great inventor he was, what a passionate man he was in terms of not giving up. The, his, uh, his son, Theo, had, a, had an accident. He's, he's you know, fortunately, you know, fully recovered. He's, he's, he's alive and doing well. But when he was a kid, he, he got uh, hit by a, his, his pram, got hit by a taxi, and he suffered head injuries. Now, you know, he, he ruled, went on to invent a, a, a device that would, um, or to co-invent a device that would um, release, relieve pressure on the brain. Equally, um, when Patricia, uh, after the events of our film, uh, suffered a stroke, he, he was ruthless in his determination to see her get better. Uh, some would say you know, to the point of cruelty, but actually it became his, his methods of, 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 of helping restore her speech became a recognised therapy. So he was a, a, a driven man. He, he was not one to give up. And... Um, you know, this is a man who, you know, had a crashed in the desert in the war. And, you know, he was a man of daring do and invention, uh, a charmer, um, you know, a, a, a cocktail, uh, a cocktail party aficionado in, in America, married a glamorous star. He was a man of many, many colors, um, some of them less palatable than others. But uh, I, I, I found him fascinating, if, if not endearing. Hugh, thank you so much for coming on. The film is thank an you. absolute must watch. It comes to Sky Cinema this Friday and it's called Two Olivia. Uh, Hugh, we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio.
If you're looking for a creative spark, then look no further than our next guest. Sky have teamed up with Adobe for The Edit, a new program that gets kids doing what they do best, being creative. So here to tell us more is a lady bursting with both sunshine and plenty of ideas. It's the awesome Angelica Bell! Hello. Hi, Angelica. Hi, Angelica. Beaming with sunshine and ideas, was that what she is? Yes, she is. Every time. In fact, last time, last time you were in, Angelica, it was sunny, and you were telling me that you were starting to run and you were running a bit further. How's that all going? It's good. Do you know what? Your advice that you gave me was spot on. So I remember I was telling you that I was doing 5Ks, and I've been trying to keep that going during lockdown. I find that the fitness has, has, and having that routine has sort of given me some focus. Now, on my route, my 5K route, and you were like, Angelica, don't just run it. You're not going to get better. So there's this hill. So every time I get to the bottom of the hill, Vassos, you are in my head. And I sprint as fast as I can to the top. And I have noticed that my fitness levels got, got much better just by pushing myself. So I'm, I am getting better. I'm not as good as you. I'll never be as good as you, Vassos. It's not. But a, you are in my head. It's not a competition, though, is way. it? But you did say you wanted to be better than you were yesterday. And that's how you do it, by just sort of mixing it up exactly. a bit. Running up hills. Hills are great. They're like speed training in secret in disguise yeah you, you when and when you get to the top oh my goodness you feel so good yeah how far how long is the hill angelica i'd say it's about half a kilometer half a k so 500 yeah, meters so it's a gradual it's a gradual one and then it gets the last say 50 meters then you got you're feeling it the the a lot of people who are into super fitness training that's all they do is hill hill running don't they, they sprint up job it down sprint fartlek. up down. fartlek you told me that yeah fartlek is uh, is swedish for speed play so that's when you just think i'm going to go fast until that lamppost and then go fast until that lamppost and then slow down and then when you feel, you feel like going fast again you go okay well now i'm going to go fast for the next three corners and so you, it's not sort of regimented every time you get a hill you have to go fast it's just whenever you feel like going fast go a bit faster what, and sprint as well. fast as you can. Sorry, we're bogged down in we're bogged down in running now. That's <laughs> definitely not what you're here to talk about, Angelica. No, but no, but the, but the thing is that running and exercise has given me the determination and drive to get involved in other things during lockdown. Do you know what I mean? Which is good. And this and this is program is called the Edit, and it's amazing. Um, and that's why I wanted to get involved with it because it's for schools um, and it's for home learning, so students, parents um, can get involved. And it's about inspiring the next generation of media talent, you know, by breaking down those industry barriers to entry of it, because, you know, we know how it's much more accessible for some students and also bridging the digital skills gap. And like you were talking about earlier, you know, that our young people now are so savvy um, with digital skills online um, and we want to focus that in a, a really positive way and get them to create stories because they are the future to- storytellers let's face it and so is this is this so obviously you know as I said on air my, my kids Evie and Nancy Evie's 11 Nancy's 7 so they're not super super young but they are well into making videos they film their guinea pigs all the time and they produce these amazing little videos with music and with mm-hmm. special, special effects and online graphics all uh, oh, sorry on screen graphics all sorts of things I mean they blow my mind especially Nancy's only 7 so is the edit all about improving their skills or introducing other kids to, to, the, to, to, these, to these skills I think it's a mixture. It's about improving their schools and also trying to sort of focus on low-income areas as well where children might not have access to, you know, this editing software, which if they get involved, they will be provided with um, the editing software um, and also curriculum-aligned lesson plans as well. 
um, to help them. So it's about it's, it's inclusive. It's for everybody. Um, and what we want students to do, we want to challenge them to create a short video news report about climate change. Um, and we know how. In, climate change really is quite important and um, topic of the moment for lots of young people who are concerned about the world they're living in right now and they're acutely aware of it but also the world they're going to be occupying when they get older in you know 20 years time um, and we saw how children in the UK and Ireland are passionate about climate action we remember in 2019 when there was that mass global climate strike and loads of the children attended it and I think this is a fantastic way for them sort of to channel their fears their thoughts, their ideas into creating digital content, um, with, with, whether it's with their school, whether it's at home, whether it's, you know, individuals, whatever. We, we want it to be however each student feels they want to tell their story um, and get involved with this competition, uh, which Sky and Adobe uh, have set up. And so what do they do then? So they come up with an idea as, as to how they're gonna, uh, what they're going to produce and then they produce it and then how do they submit it? All the information is on skyacademystudios.com. Um, there are softwares there. The software's there. There's tools there. They also be able to use um, Sky News footage as well. How cool is that? Because you know how Sky News, they do do everything well and slick. Yeah. So you'll be able to use all those resources. Go to the website there. You can find out about it um, and submit your entries by April the 23rd. I don't want to get bogged down right now with all the minutiae because everything is clearly laid out and there's there's tools and little packages that tells you what you can do and for teachers as well. Um, and the win- winning video will have news report will be broadcast on Sky News um, FYI program. Wow. What? School, oh, I know so the school cool. will win a 12 month Adobe for Education Creative Cloud subscription. So that that's sort of like a package, you know, like Photoshop, yeah. editing tools and stuff, which, you know, which schools have to pay for. But can you imagine having a school being able to have that, those resources for 12 mm. months? And also, they're receiving all expenses paid trip to the Sky Academy studios. Um, so they can see how TV works, how they can, you know, how it all happens behind the scenes and stuff. And I might, I might pop along as well. Thank you so much, Angelica. How's, uh, how's Michael doing? How's lovely Michael? He's doing all right. He's doing a lot of teaching as well at the moment. And... Um, uh, he's just, you know, his students are fantastic and he's putting everything into it. I think also a big shout out to all teachers out there at the moment yes. who are doing a fantastic job. Mm, they are yeah. on it. And I, I know that he's like, I know it's half term. It's like he's got marking planned and all these bits and bobs. But And also he's doing Virgin Groove as well. I know, I heard, heard him yesterday. I heard him yesterday. Yeah. He's very good, isn't he? He's, groovy. he's a groovy teacher. He is Love a groovy it. teacher. He is. I mean, how cool would it be if your school teacher is a presenter also on Virgin Radio Groove? It's he, he, <laughs> He's a little bit too good, if I'm honest. He's a little bit too... I had a thought, oh, no, that was good. <laughs> Very funny. All right, well, send him our love. Lovely speaking to you, and, uh, and we'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, lots of love. Take you. care. I'll keep, running. I'll keep running. Keep Bye. running. Keep well running. Done. Run up hills. Run up hills. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. They're the finest pairing to come out of Scotland since Neeps and Tatties, and arguably much tastier. Their new album, Riding on the Tide of Love, is out now, and here to tell us all about it are Ricky and Lorraine from the pitch-perfect pop powerhouse that is the one and only Deacon Blue! Morning, Ricky! Morning, Lorraine! Good, Good morning. morning! Which one is Neeps and which one's Tatties? <laughs> I couldn't possibly say. <laughs> that is a great question. Uh, so, Ricky and Lorraine, I presume, obviously, normally the case when we interview bands uh, in, in the in these, in 
the current climate. Normally they're not together, but I presume you two are stood next to each other. Yes. We are, Sam, yes. Sam, we've been in a bubble for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Ricky and Lorena are together romantically for 30 years as well as uh, being band, bandmates. And you, guys, you absolutely floored me at 8.35 this morning. Have you been listening to Virgin Mary this morning? Of course. Oh, yes. Well, that is, well, honestly, it's so touching to hear that response. It's, it's thank you very much. Well, if you, if you, if you weren't here at 8.35 this morning, we played their cover, Deacon Blue's cover of Always On My Mind, um, written, by, most people don't know, by Wayne Carson, Johnny Christopher and Mark James in 1971, covered, of course, by Elvis and Willie Nelson, the Pet Shop Boys, uh, but now covered by Deacon Blue. I, I mean, I presume, maybe I'm wrong, I presume it's not the first time you've played it together. No, we, what used to happen, we used to do a, sh- a song at the end of the show, kind of an elongated encore, where we just kind of kidded on that we hadn't finished and come back and sort of played, you know, a cover version. And we were kind of changing it around a bit, and we thought that it was a great song to play in our last tour. To, it's a kind of love song to the audience, so we used to play it as our, as our song to Sing the audience. Sing along at yeah. the end. Kind and of course, everyone knows it, and, and the lyrics are just really about that. It's about, you know taking people seriously. I mean, it totally floored me. Passos <laughs> and Amelia had left the studio and I, I was in bits and luckily they came running in with about 30 seconds going, you're right, so, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. Because the thing is about this show is this show is, is a very emotional show to produce and to present this radio show. But obviously, because I'm filling Chris's boots, you know, there's a lot of energy in that guy and I like to try and reflect that. But sometimes when you hear such a beautiful piece of music, it just takes you down and, and obviously... It has does to us, isn't it? And it just catches you unawares. And I think in these times, I think tears are much closer to the surface for most of us. And you hear a piece of music that means something to you or moves you, and before you know it, you're in tears. It happens to us all. And how does it work with, with songwriting? Do you write together? We did write together on this, this new song, um, which is not normal, actually. But, but Lorraine and I, um, well, I, I normally write yeah, uh, but we have written before together, yeah. and this just came about by a little bit of nice sort of. Well, let's face it, you're, Ricky's the songwriter. He's the songwriter, which I knew, He's, but did but you obviously get involved, Lorraine, especially because you're you're together. You're together. Are you married? I, I keep saying together, romantic. Are you married? We are married. We had our thirtieth wedding anniversary last May in lockdown. Oh, come so on, we, come on. <laughs> Happy wedding anniversary, 30 years. So t- two questions then. A, how do you stay together for 30 years, especially working in the industry that you guys work in? I mean, it must have had its tough times. But also, B, what happens if you disagree? So, so if Ricky's written a vocal and Lorraine, you go, hmm, you've done better, or it could be this, do you ever speak up, Lorraine, or do you just go, let's go with him, let's oh, trust him? He calls, me, he calls me the editor, Sam, because he's writing at home in the studio at home and I'm in the house. And if I hear something I like, I come in and say, make encouraging noises. Right. And if I don't come in, he'll say, so you didn't come in, you didn't like that. And I'm like, nah, not really. So I have to, because, you know, it's my band too, and we're going to be performing this. And I just, if you love someone, you have to be honest with them. But generally, I'm able to say, I think that's brilliant. So that's quite good. Ricky, Ricky did you hear the gap between her saying, this is my band and two? <laughs> I know. <laughs> This is, my, this, this is our band. This is our band. This is my band, too. So what happened? So Dignity is one of my favourite songs of all time. What, what happened? The lyrics are just, fa- I mean, beautiful and fantastic. And it, there's a real picture built in your mind as you listen to Dignity. Was there anything, Lorraine, about Dignity you thought, Ricky, back to the drawing board, or was it, did he nail it from the, from the very start? He wrote that one before, yeah. before he was asking my opinion, so yeah. I have to bow out of that one. Oh, I <laughs> yeah. see. 
I think that was technically before late. That was really early on, actually. Yeah, really early on. But um, a song that, you know, it's, it's just amazing when you have a song that you've written in one context. I mean, I was written in 1985. Yeah, um, okay. and, and to think that people still relate to it, it's just a lovely compliment. I, I'm just so flattered that people still, you know, just feel touched by the song and it, and it still has life in it, you know, still still, still seems to come back. But we still play it all the time on Virgin. We play it all the time. It's, 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 yeah, I love it. So, so you work incredibly hard. In the last 10, hour, 10 years, you've released five new albums in 10 years and you released an album last year city of love and now another one riding on the tide of love but they're linked are they yeah i mean essentially we we were a bit disappointed because obviously we put a new album out that came out about a week this is in city of love and it came out about a week before lockdown so you know all the touring that we had planned for 2020 didn't happen and we were trying to think of ways in which we wanted to stay in touch with our audience and it was very difficult we people do home concerts we've done some home sessions and eventually the song surfaced called Riding on the Tide of Love, which we'd forgotten about. And we thought, well, actually, that sounds like a nice kind of add-on to the album. And it became a little lockdown project, really, for us to finish all these songs that we had half-finished uh, and then and put out the record. And originally, I said we were going to do something around the tour. Tour never happened. But this is our sort of interim project to keep, you know, to keep faith with people, I guess. Tell us about City of Love. Um, actually, oddly enough, City of Love was written, um, you know, about a fact that I discovered that St. Valentine's, whose anniversary has just been, bones are stored in Glasgow. And uh, it was really a song about, you know, that inspired by that. Just a song inspired by the fact that cities that are sometimes so oppressive and sometimes places people don't want to be can also be places that just great harmony. Yeah. And and just, you know, I suppose community as well. So that was what we were trying to, you know, talk about. And and we were going to go on a tour of cities of love, places mm. that we actually, all around the UK, the cities that we're really very fond of. And but we're going to do that. We're still going to do it. That's we're a great that. idea. That's a great idea. With, with personal connections to each city. Oh, it feels like that. Over the years, I think we've played in every city and town in the UK. So... It's, they all have kind of personal connect. Well, most of them, we know people everywhere now, so we can't wait to get back out and reconnect with people. Guys, well, we can't wait for you to do that. We're sending all our love from London to Glasgow. Take care of yourself, Ricky and Lorraine. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank, Thank you, guys. And th Bye. Thanks for making me sob at 8.35. <laughs> Take care, guys. Bye now. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. We've already heard from a handful of our top-notch guests, but there's still so much more to come. BAFTA breakthrough Brit Malachi Kirby delves deep into his new Sky Original high-stakes financial drama, Devils. From politics to dancing to culinary creations, Ed Balls dishes up the details on being crowned this year's winner of Celebrity Best Home Cook. The unstoppable Billy Munger tells us all about his mind-blowing walking, cycling and kayaking feat for Red Nose Day, Billy's Big Red Nose Day Challenge. The bursting with knowledge, Dr. Range charges through the pages of his new book, How to Grow Up and Feel Amazing, The No Worries Guide for Boys. All of that and more still to come. So let's get right back to it. Dapper Dave, who's next? Bastille's feature-length tour documentary, Reorchestrated, is available now on Amazon Prime Video. And here to tell us how they've quite literally added some strings to their bow is the really quite marvellous <laughs> Dan Smith! Dan Smith! <laughs> Morning, Dan. That's the best introduction I've heard. I can't believe I can't believe you're the first person to, I, that I've I've spoken to who's thought to say that. That's yes! brilliant. Yes, <laughs> you've done it. You've done it, Dave. You can retire happy. Uh, Dan, we've all seen Reorchestrated. 
whether whether you're a fan of Bastille, super fan of Bastille, or you just like their music, the one thing that that we've all fallen more for you as a band and as people because you were so honest and so raw in it. But t can you tell us how it, how it all came about? Because obviously you can't just walk into a room with 50 musicians and go, guys, start playing and we'll sing along. How on earth yeah. do you make this kind of thing happen? Well, we did. We, we A few years ago, we were asked to do a charity show for a charity called Streets of London at, um, in a little church in North London. Um, and... I thought we just wanted to do something special with it. So we, we decided to completely make it really easy for ourselves and completely change and basically orchestrally remix all of our songs. So we worked with a couple of friends, a little gospel choir um, and some strings musicians and brass. And we basically just flipped all of our songs on their heads. And I got so obsessed with how that gig went that I sort of got it in my head that we should do it on a bigger scale. And so, yeah, kind of challenged everyone we worked with to help us make it happen on a tour around the, U around the UK and Europe with an orchestra, finishing in the Royal Albert Hall, um, which, you know, it was one of the most amazing gig nights of our lives. But I think for everyone that works with us was like, why are you doing this? You're like in the midst of your second album going into a third. Yes. You're like yes. a kind of rock band, I guess, in some people's eyes or whatever. Like, you don't need to do this. It's a kind of strange thing to, to, to voluntarily take on. But it was just something that, we felt really passionately about it. and it kind of ended up last year with this show in Hamburg with a 50 piece orchestra um, and, and a you know, 12 piece choir and just these completely mad different symphonic versions of, of our songs that I, I don't know. It's just, it was the most kind of, I'm not very good at talking about what we do in a positive way, but it was the most like affecting thing for us that, that I feel like we've ever done. And yeah, it was just a real like bizarre labor of love. And our friend, our friend Tom basically is a mate. He used to live with, with Kyle. He was his housemate when we first started out as a band. And he started making films about us as a uni project. And he basically never left. So for eight years, he's just been on the road with us, collecting footage, a lot of which will hopefully never, ever, ever see the light of day. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, so he, he just had all this stuff. And then, yeah, it kind of, we wanted to celebrate these mad gigs we were lucky enough to do. And that's where this film kind of came out of. What I loved about it is I loved its rawness and its honesty because I know that you were filmed individually as well as uh, together. And yeah. uh, this probably enabled you to be more open and honest about each other and, and about your feelings and what have you. We were talking about, there's one bit in there about Kyle fearing that he wasn't good enough as a, as a, as a pianist. So he went off and had, piano, and had piano lessons. And as a band, you didn't just boot him out and say, which obviously most bands would do. We all know how ruthless the music industry is. They would just boot them yeah. out. And you said, no, 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 no. You go and have some piano lessons and then come back and we're, and we're keeping it. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Yeah, I, I think, I think, I don't know. It's, it's, it's as, as a sort of film technique, I guess, Tom and Tom, who knows us really well, and Toby, who we worked with on it, who directed it, who we don't know at all. He, um, well, we do now, obviously, but he, uh, they, they sort of felt like taking us all separately and interviewing us and asking us just to be a bit more honest than we normally are. Because, you know, it's like, in, in, in kind of when we're promoting songs or, or, or doing interviews like we're we're not guarded but you know there's there's a lot of stuff you're just not going to talk about imposter syndrome on like a breakfast show or whatever it's just not that interesting or, or in, for people but we just felt like with this film the idea of a you know a moderately successful band doing a gig 
that went really well with the big orchestra, you know, that's not a particularly interesting story. And, and to, to try and say something that was worth saying for people who may not like our music. And, you know, it was, it was more about trying to make a film about creativity and about the sort of struggles of that and about, yeah, imposter syndrome, how weird it is to be in a band, um, how lucky we are, but also, you know, the sort of <clears throat> the kind of struggles that come with it. And, uh, and yeah, and, and stage fright, all, all those things. We, I guess we didn't realise it would become a film about that. And I think it's a much more kind of uh, nuanced and interesting film than just a concert movie or whatever. So I, I think they did an amazing job. And I think a lot of that's down to us as a band not really having any editorial control. We sort of just sat back and, and let, them, let them sift through everything and decide what would be the most sort of interesting, inclusive tale to tell. It Dan, was. is it fair to say that any piece of music, any track ever, could be improved if an orchestra was, was performing along or behind it? So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think maybe, maybe. I, I mean, like, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm, no, for some reason, the only thing that popped into my head just then was Baby Shark, which I can't, um, I don't know. How that <laughs> <laughs> but but um, I've probably been hanging out with my nephew too much. But it's, it's, uh, it's I, yeah, maybe. I think, I always think when we, when we do covers and we love to do covers, you know, on our mixtapes and whenever we do sessions and, and take music that people maybe don't respect enough or that is kind of seen as disposable and by re-jigging it and kind of representing it in a different way i think it can really add weight to something and definitely if you stick an orchestra behind something it just really the sense of like gravitas that comes with maybe it's knowing that there's that many actual people on stage who know what they're doing yeah um, that yeah. really just lifts it uh, you know in, in such an amazing way well also gonna, i've got, gonna, I've, I've got a mention like johnny who johnny who does, did the arranging he's he's a mate of ours he's in a band called public service broadcasting and he he's he's toured with us for years as a trumpet player um, so to, to kind of realize when we asked him to, to do this, that he was in secret, like an absolute genius when it came to arranging and, and, and the things that he brought to it in terms of, it's not just like we, we like stuck some strings on Bastille tracks. These are completely, completely rethought, reimagined, totally upside down versions. And he just did such an amazing job. So it's, it's, uh, it's, that's been a real kind of like amazing thing to see in a friend as well. Oh, Dan, I, mean, Dan, I could talk to you for 12 hours. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show, mate. Take care of yourself and, Thank and you so much. we'll speak to you Thanks soon. Thanks for having me. All right. Cheers, buddy. Bye. Reorchestrated is available now on Amazon Prime Video. You will love it. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. If you like your murder mysteries with lots of pretty people, fast cars and oodles of cash, then look no further. The brilliant brand new Sky Original series Devils is available on demand in full from tomorrow. So now it's better the devil you know. Well, he's not a devil, but we're going to get to know him. It's the star of the show, <laughs> Malachi Kirby. Hello, Malachi. Morning. <laughs> Good morning. How was your, in your intro? Do you love it? I'm dancing in my living room. Good man. <laughs> and where is your living room? Where, where are we speaking to you? You're on, you sound like you're on Skype. Are you in London? Where do you live? Yes, I am just in catering. Oh, okay, okay, just down the road. Yeah, okay. Well, no, sorry, most people don't know it. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I know it. I know it. it's where the famous car is. Well, car, obviously, first from. But uh, oh. yeah, well, look, thank you very, thanks for coming on the show, Malachi. It's great to have you here. Now, tomorrow starts a brand new series on demand through Sky. It is a Sky original on Sky Atlantic. All episodes available tomorrow. It's called Devils. Malachi, what's it about? Where's it set? Who's in it? And why is it called Devils? Okay, um, so Devils is basically a, based on a true story. Um, it's not exactly true, <laughs> just for FYI, but it's based on a true story about the events that led to the financial crisis in 2008. Um, it's got an international cast. You've got Alessandro Borghi, Patrick Dempsey, myself, 
like Acosta, Paul Chowdhury. It's, it's, it's an amazing cast that we've got involved. Um, and what was the other question? <laughs> so where, where, well, where's it set? It's set, it's set, it's set in Lon- London and Italy? Okay. Yes, it's set, it's set between London, New York and Italy. Yes. And why is it called Devils? I think it's I mean, I'm going to leave that for the audience to answer. But personally, I think it's called Devils um, because basically what we do is we look at this world of banking and trading and we realize that not everything is what it seems. And I think the title lends itself not to specific people involved in the show, but a system in place um, that is essentially evil and corrupt. I watched it last night. I watched episode one last night of series one. And I, I was, it was quite late last night when I watched it. And I was nervous that I was going to fall asleep because we get up so early to do our job. And I'm very tired by eight o'clock at night. And I was watching it at eight o'clock at night. And I thought, I was gonna, listen, there was no falling asleep going to happen. It is, it is absolutely fantastic. Malachi, have you seen Billions? I haven't. Okay, so billions. I know is, I need to watch it. Yeah, so billions. Billions is set in a hedge fund in in uh, in the states. Is a similar kind of thing. It's a, well, I think it is. I've only watched one episode of Devils, but it's a similar kind of thing. And it is, and it was massive. But this for me has the potential to be to be even better, even better. Do you know how accurately it represents the world of investment banking? I don't. I mean, I know that you know as you watch it, you'll see you know actual real clips of. Um, footage from real life um so it lends itself to that and i know it's based on a book written by a writer called guido maria brera he was an actual trader um he wrote the book in italian so i don't if you don't speak italian you can't really read it but now you can watch the show (laughs) um and it's translated for you um so it's definitely using um things that actually happened to tell the story but we've dramatized it a bit and so how did it come about how are you how are you in it when you first saw the script what did you think um, when I first saw the script, I fell in love with it. I mean, the character of Oliver, um, he is an amazing character to play. His arc is incredible. Um, he's probably one of the most fun characters I've ever played in my career, to be honest. Um, so I was immediately drawn to it. He's about the only nice person in it, isn't he? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I, I mean, everyone's really character. nice in real life. <laughs> no, I know, I know. But the only nice character in it. Because it, because yeah, no, I tell you what sure. really stands out is how lovely Oliver, your character, is in it. Because everybody else is, well, everybody else has this edge to them that we're, you know. I mean, for most of us, I've got two or three friends of mine who are investment bankers. And I know that they have a good side to them. But they're all cut from the same sort of cloth. They're all tough. They're all very competitive and incredibly driven. Uh, they all have these piercing eyes, which could cut diamonds, which is well represented oh. <laughs> in devils because the those eyes exist it appears to me in every sort of in every investment banker um but you really stand out in it and 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 you're in it well it appears to me you're in it i've only seen one episode because uh, despite not having a a, a wealthy um uh, up, upbringing as a, your character because you've got this super brain the rich wealthy kids want you on their side yeah i mean basically you know he grows up in a council estate and he ha- he's had to become very streetwise to survive. And what he realizes is that his ability to read people to survive is actually um, a bankable skill in a bank, in the trading world. Um, and there is a particular character that we realize mirrors him um, who's already made it to the peak of success, but started in a very similar uh, background to Oliver. Um, and so we, we find that out along the once we go through the story. And have you, I mean, obviously you learned a lot about the world of investment banking since taking part in this amazing series, Devils. Um, if I could offer you a career as a super rich Aston Martin driving helicopter flying investment banker, as opposed to continuing on your amazing acting career, would you take it? 
No. <laughs> <laughs> Why? It looks incredibly I mean, pri- exciting and sexy. Prior to doing the show, prior to doing the show, probably I would have not hesitated to say yes. Um, but doing it, it's, it's made me realise, and it's, as I think also for Oliver, he also realises because he's like this bright young student who's eager to impress. Problem is he's eager to impress the wrong people. And what he realises is that, you know, he knows they're rich, but what he doesn't know is how they got rich. And I think the pressure, not even the pressure they're under, but just the power that they have in their hands at the click of a button to change people's lives. Like it's, I think it's personally too much power for one man. Um, so I wouldn't want that on my shoulders. All right. Listen, buddy, it's great watching your career. Uh, we, uh, we, we, we thought you were, uh, we, we just think you're doing a brilliant job and this is such a different role to the roles that you've played it, like in Black Mirror, for example. Very, very different, but you absolutely nail it. So thanks for coming on the show to tell us all about it. It's called Devils. It is available from tonight on Sky Atlantic, on Sky On Demand. And I tell you, big old tomorrow, big upon Thank you, Dave. A big old thumbs up from me. Malachi, thanks for coming on the show. Take care of yourself. Thank you. And enjoy the success of this. I know you will. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. He's gone from cooking up a storm in Westminster to taking home the bacon in BBC One Celebrity Best Home Cook. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man that knows his way around a Herbie Lamb cutlet just as much as the ballot box. It's the one and only Ed Balls. Ed Balls. Morning, Ed. Good morning, Sam. Let's talk about your great, great success because uh, we've just found out that you've won this fabulous TV wow. show, Celebrity Best Home Cook. Um, can, for those who haven't seen it, you can watch it on BBC iPlayer, but for those who haven't seen it, tell us what it's all about. Well, it was um, a cooking show, which for the first two series, they had um, um, members of the public and then they decided to get some some of us tired old faces back on and do oh. Celebrity Best Home Cook. And um, we started with 10 of us and each week... We have to do a, a a challenge set by Mary, but we can come with our own recipe. Then we then get given a special ingredient called Chris, uh, by Chris Bavin, and we have one hour with no recipe to do something. And then the people who didn't do well get put into the eliminator round, where Angela Hartnett sets a crazy task. We have 35 minutes to cook from scratch. I did um, a crab ravioli, a lemon meringue tart, um, and also... Uh, Another one which has gone from my mind. And then at the end, whoever does the worst of those dishes goes out and all the way through to the final. And the final was me, Tom Reed Wilson and Rachel Johnson, the journalist who is also related to the Prime Minister, but she's most importantly a journalist. And what, what is, I mean, Tom, to be, to be fair, this is my first introduction to Tom Reed Wilson. He apparently is the, uh, the, the, the concierge or, yeah. the, or the receptionist on Slebs Go Dating. What a character he is. He was lovely, my gosh. I mean, he could find an innuendo in any <laughs> kitchen implement. I mean, anyone. And, uh, and he has a lovely use of words and he was really fun and very generous i think the thing was we filmed this in the middle of lockdown we were so pleased to actually get out and get to meet other people and keo did a brilliant job because it was so hard to make that production work and everybody wanted everybody else to do well but the other thing was because cooking and home cooking so much about family and everybody was bringing recipes they'd learned from their mums and dads or grandparents or whatever we all kind of wanted them to do well so there was a sort of warm vibe to it which um, and hopefully it will inspire lots of mums and dads who maybe don't cook yet to have a go because if we 
if I can do it. Well, you know, that, that's what I was saying to Vass earlier on this morning, because I was saying that, you know, if Ed Balls can do it, then we can all do it. I don't, Thank I don't, you very I, much. I, I, obviously don't mean, I obviously don't mean that. But they are, they are dishes that, I mean, definitely I couldn't cook as well as any of you definitely can cook, but could. they are they are sort of relatable dishes. Yeah. It's not like watching the Bake Off where you think, I could just never bake that without years of practice. We could have a go at what you've done. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's not like MasterChef where it's very technical, although some of the eliminator challenges got really, really difficult. But it's, it's much more about home cooking. And what you realise there is it is all about things you learn, the smells from your childhood, things you've done with your family. The other thing, though, of course, which is really hard about it. I mean, you know, we're being judged by Dame Mary Berry and yeah. Angela Hartnett yeah. and uh, Chris Brevin. You go forward and I'm doing my lasagna, which my mum taught me when I was eight years old. I've been cooking for 40 years. And suddenly Mary's going to say what she thinks of it. And if she says... I don't like your lasagna. Yeah. I'm afraid my reaction is, sorry, Mary, it's my mum's lasagna. <laughs> it's brilliant. You can't not like it. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And the problem with being a home cook is, in the end, the most important audience is your family, the people around your table. So um, the times when the judges gave tough comments for all of us was quite emotional. I mean, because, you know... It's what you've always done. Can't, yeah. can't diss my gravy. No, of course not. What are you doing? Uh, Ed, you're, I mean, you're, of course, a former shadow chancellor. Did I get this right? Did you say that Mary Berry... Lovely Mary Berry, who once invited Sam's kids into her garden to pick blackberries. Did you say that Mary Berry is tougher than Tony Blair and Gordon Brown combined? Much tougher. Well, of course she is, because first of all, she's Dame Mary Berry. And she is like the doyen and, you know, peerless. Um, and, you know, she never makes mistakes, does she, Mary? Can you ever imagine Mary ever burning anything, getting a recipe wrong? Gordon Brown, Tony Blair, they're politicians, of course, they make mistakes. <laughs> yeah, of course, all time. But, more, but more importantly, <laughs> yes. you know, with Mary, I mean, with Gordon Brown, if he got something wrong, it was my job to say to him, don't do that. You know, that's a mistake. You're wrong. With Tony Blair as well, because political leaders, you need people around you who tell you, you're an idiot. Stop. Think. Think. But with Mary Berry, can you imagine saying, Mary, I'm really sorry. You're wrong about that. I don't like your lasagna, Ed. Well, I don't care. What do you know? <laughs> so basically, you, we were totally intimidated. Whatever she said, she's funny, but she's very fierce as well. And, uh, but whatever she said went which is as it should be. Never the case with Tony Blair or Gordon Brown. Never the case even with the Strictly judges, who, to be honest, although I didn't... As our kids said to me, if Craig Revel Hall would said that my jive was no good, what do you expect? I mean, look at me. But with the cooking, it was a bit more difficult because, yeah, you know, I cared more about it and what I could do. Are you with a, I'm just thinking of a Sunday roast now. My mum's Sunday roast is the best Sunday roast on the planet. And if I go to somebody else's house, even if others would disagree, oh, you don't, do you? Because you, it's the one we you grew had, up though, We had a nightmare, though, and actually I decided, I talked to a vet about it, and we decided we had to talk about it openly, because I think in the end, when you have problems in your relationship, sometimes being public and open about things can, can really help and get other people's support. And basically, I've always done a dark, like caramelised gravy with roast beef or roast chicken. Day before I'm going to the show... A vet says, Mary Berry will like a lighter gravy. So I spent an hour and a half in, you know, stopping the gravy going dark, fighting to keep the temperature at the right level. I go up, Angela Hartnett says, it's a bit light, this gravy. <laughs> then Mary Berry says, this is not really a gravy, it's a sauce. I'm oh, like a dark gravy. I stood there, I couldn't believe it. I went home and said, what did you do to me? 
you changed my gravy. And I got dissed by Mary Berry for being too light. Who likes a light gravy? Why did I listen? And she said, are you blaming me? I said, no, I'm being loyal. (laughs) But it went wrong. Well, it's absolutely fantastic. It's called Celebrity Best Home Cook. If you haven't seen it, you can watch the whole series via BBC iPlayer uh, right now. And Ed, well done for winning. Always lovely to chat to you. And have have a great weekend. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Sam. It's good to be with you. Cheers, mate. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. If you feel like you're not doing enough exercise in lockdown, then switch off now as you're about to feel lazy. Billy's Big Red Nose Day Challenge will blow your mind. And here to tell us all about his triathlon-inspired fundraising shenanigans is a young man that's as tough as they come. It's the incredible Billy Munger! Billy Munger! Morning, Billy! All right, buddy, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. So, so Billy, we're going to hear all about this incredible challenge that you're about to undertake. But before we do that, for those of you who don't, for those listening who don't know your story, can you tell us can you tell us through your life as a racing driver and, and, and literally from the very beginning when you were six years old and you got your first go-kart? Yeah, so I started out in go-karting when I was six years old. Uh, my dad actually bought me the go-kart when I was two uh, and the guy he bought it off just couldn't quite believe when he saw me <laughs> in the front of uh, the car in my baby seat that I was meant to be driving at in a few years' time. Uh, so my dad was pretty keen for me to get involved with motorsport. Kind of went from there really, became something we did for a bit of fun to... Every weekend, um, pretty much, we'd be out across the country or across the world racing. And then um, when I was 17, I was competing in F4 and I had a, an accident where I became a double amputee as a result of the crash. Um, and yeah, since then, it's just been getting back to racing for me. And uh, now I'm taking on this challenge for, for Comet Relief. But what's amazing is watching the documentary about your life, which, which I did yesterday, is, is, I mean, I'm sure it hasn't always been this way, but you, you seem incredibly... Uh, positive about everything still after what you went through yeah i mean uh, yeah i mean when you go through something like that i guess i mean everyone has hurdles in their life that they have to face mine was obviously a bit more visible in the fact that i became an amputee but um i don't think there's any other way i'd want to be about my life really if you're not positive if you're not a positive person it can translate to those around you and luckily for me the people i had around me were so strong and positive that um, I think that that came across into how I approached uh, the situation. Uh, Billy, you've been you've been on our radar for for a few years, not not least since you won the the Helen Rollins Award at the BBC Sports Personality of the Year, and you know you were so quickly back into racing after your accident. But then I read about this latest challenge of yours, and I thought, my goodness me, he does not like making things easy for himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong there. I mean, this challenge for me is completely out of my comfort zone it's something that that came it came on it sort of came to to me at the perfect time because like a lot of people during lockdowns I've had my ups and downs with fitness and uh, I know at the start of the first lockdown I really got I I let myself go it was like a nice um, few month holiday Um, but then after that I've been um, I realised obviously for me my normal reason for training was to compete in the car and to perform out on track so not having that in 2020 because of COVID, it, I lost that motivation. So I had to find a different motivation for training. Thankfully, I did find that. And then uh, the challenge came about to me when I got myself back to a really good place physically. So um, I thought, why not? If I'm going to tackle it at any point in life, I might as well do it now. So we better tell people what you're doing. This is a Billy's Big Red Nose Day Challenge. It starts next Monday the 22nd of February. Uh, Just to remind people, you are a double amputee and what are you going to attempt? So I'm basically going to be um, completing an Ironman distance, so 140 miles across four days. 
Um, and that's going to be done by walking a marathon, cycling about 100 miles and kayaking about 18 miles across the four days. It's extraordinary. And you haven't cycled since your accident three years ago and you've never kayaked before. No, the first time I, I jumped in the kayak was the, probably the second week of January of this year. So, yeah, only a, about just over a month ago probably now. And I've never cycled since my accident. So cycling was something I enjoyed before. Um, and I didn't know whether I'd be able to cycle a normal upright bike. Um, as a result of doing this challenge, we didn't know how that would look, that part of the journey would look for me. But, um, yeah, over the last few months, I've, I've learned how to cycle from scratch. And, um, yeah, now I've got 100 miles to do next week. Are you confident? Are you nervous? Are you looking forward to it? Are you hoping that the, the weather's nice? I mean, the last week has been um, my biggest week of training before um, in sort of preparing for this. Um, as we're sort of tapering down now and sort of easing back the training so I can get a bit of rest and recovery in this week. And, yeah, the conditions were far from ideal. We were at one point cycling into a headwind where there was snow coming at us, me and my trainer. So at that point, I kind of thought to myself, what on earth have I signed myself up for? But <laughs> away from that, I mean, I, I'm I'm getting better and better in each sort of discipline uh, as the time goes on. So, um like I say, it's out of my comfort zone. It's something I've never done before. So there's part of me that as much as I can prepare and I have prepared as, as well as I possibly could have, um, until I start the challenge, I really won't know how, how all that preparation is sort of where it's put me. There's something magical, isn't there, about getting outside your comfort zone, though? Yeah, it has been a really amazing experience for me. I've learned a lot about myself in the last few months. Um, and obviously the fact that it's for Comic Relief and such an important charity that does such great work is just, um, that gives me so much motivation, especially on days where, um, there definitely has been days where I've not fancied going down and doing sort of three hours on a, on a turbo train or anything like that and like racking up the hours like I have been doing. So, um, yeah, I've got a, a great sort of motivational um, tool in that the fact it's for charity behind me. Billy, you're, you're, a, you're a total inspiration. I mean, you should really inspire me and Vass because Vassals and I have been talking about potentially canoeing the, the length of the River Seven. And then basically we had meetings about with other people who knew what they're talking about and we've just gone quiet on it, haven't we? <laughs> I, think we've, I think we thought, quick, that's a long way, 200 miles in a canoe. But what you're doing is just so much tougher uh, and it should inspire people like Vass and I to... You know, put our money where our mouth is and crack on. So listen, if you want to support Billy, uh, go to comicrelief.com forward slash Red Nose Day or billymongeracing.co.uk. And it's going to be made into a documentary as well. I saw that. That's cool, Billy. A, a BBC documentary, one hour documentary following the highs and the lows of, of it. Yeah, so they've been following me throughout the whole preparation and that's going to go out um, some point during Red Nose sort of day week, that week um, to the comic release. So yeah. It will be, um, it will be actually quite interesting for me to watch because it's gone. Past, the last few months have gone past so quickly that I kind of lose track of the fact that when I started this, I couldn't do these disciplines. So now, hopefully, um, we can uh, raise a lot of money for such a great cause. Good man. All right, Billy. Well, best of luck, buddy. We will really look forward to seeing the documentary, and good luck for Monday. Thank you. Cheers, guys. To get involved, comicrelief.com forward slash Red Nose Day or billymongeracing.co.uk. What a star. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Puberty's a minefield of high emotion, hair in places you didn't know you had, and skin that will just not behave. Well, fear not. His new book, How to Grow Up and Feel Amazing, is out today. So if your little fella has questions about his little fella, then look no further than this little fella. It's the wonderful Dr. Ray! Yes! Oh, what an intro! Wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, I'm putting that on my CV, that one. <laughs> oh, Dapper Dave, God bless wow. you. Thank you, Dr. Ranch. <laughs> because Brilliant. also, knowing Dr. Ranch, because he's been in so many times before, you knew you could get away with that. You yeah, knew he'd love it. You knew yeah. he'd love it. Yeah. It was all good fun. Oh, <laughs> mate. Thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you on, as ever. So your book, How to Grow Up and Feel Amazing, The No Worries Guide for Boys, obviously your idea. When did it come about? And why is it so important for us to have this book in our hands if we're a, a boy going through our, through our teens? Uh, this has kind of been an idea. I mean, it was written and finished probably just about a year ago, actually. It takes that long to get a book out. But um, the idea came about because, um, obviously, there's a lot going on in young people's lives right now. Um, there's loads of stuff out there for, from the perspective of girls, quite rightly. There wasn't quite so much for boys, and what was out there wasn't very up-to-date. So there was a real need to create something that I think boys right now could use. Um, and I also kind of thought, I want to create and write the book that I would have needed when I was growing up. So I've poured everything that I've learned from my own growing up experiences right through to all my professional stuff that I do, working with young people, and I've chucked it into this book in the hope that it will be beneficial for any young man, any boy, um, anybody else that might be interested in the challenges they're facing, their parents, their carers, their siblings, their friends, anybody around the ages of 10 to 14-ish. But um, I, I reckon there's probably some older people um, some more people our age possibly might find it useful as well. Uh, listen, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm forty. I'm forty-five years old, and I grew up by, uh, born of two parents, John and Joy who are the most liberal parents you could ever yeah. have. They taught me everything. I was so comfortable. Me and my sister Nat, so comfortable talking to our parents about anything. However, I read the book, front to, you know, cover to cover, <laughs> yesterday and learnt stuff that I, that I had no idea wow. about. And I'm, <laughs> mate, I'm 45 years go. old, you know, and, and I thought I knew it all, but I read the book and I was like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> the interesting thing you say about boys and girls, though, because yeah. Vass and I were chatting about this off air. It was definitely the case when Vass and I are both 45 years old, when, when we were in our teens, this was the case. Is it still the case, do you think, that girls talk to their girlfriends more than boys talk to their boyfriends about how they're feeling about stuff? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's something that needs to change. And there's a strong message that I've tried to put into this book all about talking. If you're struggling, talk. Never feel afraid to show your emotions. Never feel afraid to be vulnerable. Um, it's okay to be strong, but it's also okay not to be okay sometimes and always seek help when you need it. And I think that traditionally girls have always been more ready to open up to each other and speak and speak up. And boys haven't been given that permission. And I've tried to do that in this book because I think it's so, so important, especially with all the stuff that's happened over the last year. There's so many things that young people in general want to talk about. And I think boys especially right now need a bit of a helping hand. Um, I read a book once called Growing Up As Girls, because I obviously have two daughters, not obviously, but I do. Yeah. And I read, and, and I, learnt, I, learnt, I learnt so much. So I think it works both ways. So one of the subjects that you talk about is on the online world, cyberbullying, yeah. social media, etc. Yeah. Obviously a world that, um, I don't know how old you are, but a world that Vassos and I never had to deal with. Although we're on social media now, we yeah. didn't have to deal with it through our teens, which we know is much tougher. Um, are there, are there other, are there other aspects of the book that maybe uh, in our generation we didn't have to deal with it, but they do now? Well, yeah. So I'm, I'm of a similar age group to you guys. I'm in my 40s as well. So I had to cut no, your mind back quite oh, hard. Devast yes. That devastates me. <laughs> Look at his photo on the front of this book. He's the same age as us, perhaps. Yeah, that, that was taken 12 years ago. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> 
Yeah, I made sure they use the good pictures. Yeah, that was it. And a filter. Um, well, no, we, we cover everything from, you know, and there's an upstate guide to puberty for boys and girls. There's a lot to chat about mental health, which I think is hugely important right now, and looking after your mental health and your m- mental well-being. There's loads of chat about relationships, different kinds of relationships, different kinds of families. Um, obviously, we talk about romantic relationships as well because it's important that boys are prepared for that when they're ready. But we try to be as inclusive as possible. It is not just one kind of relationship that we talk about. We talk about the online world, which is huge right now. You and I didn't grow up with it, I know, but we've kind of, you know, been eased into it as we've grown up. But young people are now just, it's just part of their lives and they need to learn how to use it safely. And then there's just a whole chapter on living your best life every day. Just the little things you can do every day just to get the most out of your day and be the best that you can be. So listen, it's great for boys. It's great for teenage boys, teenage girls, 10 to 14-year-olds, but older than that. And I tell you what, if you're like me, you've got kids who are maybe seven years old, six years old, eight years old, and you're already starting to worry about how you're going to discuss these topics with them, then as an adult and as a parent, this is a great book to read. Because you're... Absolutely. Well, we'll we see how you write it, and I go, that makes sense. (laughs) You know, it it does. It does. I learned so much from it, Dr. Ranj. I loved it. Exactly, exactly. And there's an audio book as well. So if anyone doesn't fancy picking up a book and going through that you know you can just have a listen in the car have a listen together with your young people as well oh that's a great shout yeah that oh <laughs> you just put that idea in my head so in the car with your kids listening to the audiobook of it and then yeah, pa- I mean, and then pausing and discussing in wouldn't, the car. Oh, wouldn't, wouldn't that be a brave thing? Well, Dr. Ranj, what an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It is beautifully written. It's very, very entertaining and light-hearted, but also covers all the topics that we need to talk to with our kiddies. Dr. Ranj, How to Grow Up and Feel Amazing, the No Worries Guide for Boys. Definitely should also be read by girls. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We will send Cheers. your intro through on an email so you can whack it on your phone or whatever. Amazing. All right, Thank buddy. you very much. Okay. And you. Bye now. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you for listening to this podcast. The best bits from the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Chris will be back next week. And don't forget, subscribe now and you'll never miss a week of The Breakfast Show. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. 